Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, I'm Zach. And I'm Jesse. And you're watching Tesla Time News. Episode 297 on Now You Know. We couldn't do this show every week if it weren't for our Patreon patrons who help support us over on Patreon. You can join them by heading over to patreon.com slash now you know. There are some really cool perks that we set up so that way people who help support us can get some stuff back. Um, I highly encourage you to check it out if you've been enjoying the show for a while. This week's episode is sponsored by Blinkist. We just listened to the Simplify shortcast of Lower Your Expectations with Eric Fisher. Yeah, and I learned in just a few minutes from Eric, who has learned from talking to countless experts in productivity, about a life hack, I guess you'd call it, and a really good one at that. Now, you've probably heard us tell you about Blinks before. Right. You can think of a Blink as a condensed book. It's so short that you can either read it or listen to one in less than 15 minutes. But this Shortcast, that's another cool service that Blinkist offers. Now, what is it? You can think of a Shortcast as like a Blink for podcasts. So a Shortcast condenses a long podcast down into its key ideas. And why did you like the Simplify Shortcast so much? Well, because I've got so much to do in my life. Uh, there are so many podcasts out there. How am I supposed to find the ones I'm interested in? Right. Shortcasts let you see if you're interested in the topic before you have to dive into a full episode. Exactly. In the time it would take me to just get through like one regular podcast, I can absorb the key ideas in a shortcast and then go listen to more if I find that person or topic super interesting. And Blinkist also offers full length audiobooks. Premium subscribers get special member pricing up to 65% off the regular retail price. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Click the link in the description below to start your free seven day trial with Blinkist and get 25% off a premium membership. Also, Blinkist has condensed over 5,000 titles in 27 different categories. So the Elon Twitter saga continues. Elon tweeted out last Friday, the Twitter deal temporarily on hold, pending details supporting calculation that spam fake accounts do indeed represent less than 5% of users. Okay, so in my opinion, now that the Twitter board has approved Elon's $54.20 offer, even though stockholders have not approved it yet, mm -hmm. I think Elon knows that he can renegotiate for a better price. Elon may be using this idea that more than 5% of Twitter's uh, 229 million active users may be spam or fake accounts as his public reason to pause the deal. But I don't think it is. Yeah, I mean, he knows how many accounts are real and fake. Let's be honest. This whole thing about um, how Twitter's lawyers have said to him, you weren't supposed to tell them the sample size of 100. I mean, what is that all about, really? Elon is either pausing this deal to get a better price or, in my opinion, maybe... maybe. Maybe that's just my wishful thinking. He's rethinking buying Twitter altogether. What do you think? Give me your reasoned opinion, not just, I don't think this, in the comments below. And yes, there is a, you know, like clause in this deal that whoever pulls out of the deal um, is going to have to pay a billion dollars uh, to the other side. And so people are saying, well, of course, Elon wouldn't pull out of the deal because then you have to pay a billion dollars. Mm, if you're going to be paying. What's a billion dollars, <laughs> right? I mean, I don't have a billion dollars, but if I was considering buying Twitter and I had that much money, I might consider backing out of the deal. I don't know. I don't like Twitter that much. Uh, that's just my opinion. I know some other people love Twitter. Yeah. I mean, I want to talk about more of this 
this on the Investor Club bonus story. So if you want to join us over on Patreon, uh, we talk about these kinds of things there because this has to do with investing money. So at the FT or Financial Times Future of Cars conference, Elon said this week when asked about opening the supercharger network to competitors, it's a little trickier in the U.S. because we have a different connector than the rest of the industry, but we will be adding the rest of the industry connectors as an option to superchargers in the U.S. So we're trying as best as possible to do the right thing for the advancement of electrification, even if that diminishes our competitive advantage. And as Elon pointed out, uh, Tesla is already doing this in Europe. Right. They're doing a pilot program, but also when the Model 3 came out there and it wouldn't plug into the old style chargers, mm -hmm. they had to update all their chargers, which they did pretty quick. So my guess is that Tesla's probably going to start with like two to four supercharger stalls per location mm -hmm. in the US, which will get CCS cables. And this would be so that other EV brands can charge up to 150 or 250 kilowatts. I think, though, that Tesla will do this as a relatively slow rollout. I mean, they haven't offered any timeline, and I don't think they're under any real pressure to do it fast. Right. Now, I think that a lot of people have been saying for years that Tesla, Tesla should, should open, open up their up supercharger, supercharger network, network because, because that would be the fastest, fastest way, way to accelerate, accelerate EV adoption. And I want to push back on that just a little bit. I agree it would be great if the supercharger network were totally any EV could charge there and, and pay Tesla whatever price that they're going to set. But I think that if Tesla didn't have this exclusive network for the time that it has had the exclusive network, I think that they would have gone out of business. And you might be saying, well, no, why? There have been so many points in Tesla's history where they were this mm -hmm. close to going out of business. Right. And a little thing like having the supercharger network open to other car brands could have made the difference between Tesla going out of business and not. Yep. And I think that that would have been much, 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 much worse for electrification um, than them not opening up the charging network sooner. Right. I, know, I mean, I have a leaf, so I completely understand that it sucks when you don't have good charging infrastructure. I had always wished that I could pull my leaf into a Tesla supercharger stall and it would been be able a game to, changer. to charge up. But if I had been able to do that, maybe Tesla would have gone out of business. And then where would we be? Because I, you know, you know, in your heart of hearts that Ford and GM and Toyota and all these other car brands, they would immediately, as soon as Tesla went under cancel all their EV plans. Yep. It would have been like, well, see, clearly Tesla failed, so we're going to go right back to selling gas and diesel cars. Yep. I think this one story alone is actually going to have the biggest impact on EV adoption in the US. I mean, it seems like a very in-the-weeds story, but mark my words, over the next year or two, I think whatever happens here is really going to have an impact on EV adoption. Yeah, and I think that this is the time where Tesla can afford to do this. I mean, as Elon said, it's, it really diminishes their competitive advantage over all the other car brands. But I do think that it is the right thing to do. But now is the right time to do it when Tesla is very strong and they can weather you know, a bunch of different uh, bad things that could happen. Well, and let's not forget why they're really doing this. There's $7.5 billion of federal infrastructure money, and a lot of that could go to Tesla if they open up their network. And say what you want about that EV infrastructure bill, but this is, I mean, you passed the law, you said here's some money, who wants it? Uh, this is a great, I mean, it it's working. Great. Right. I'm so glad that it's actually working. Is it the most efficient way to do it? Nope. But it uh, it is going to hopefully help. Another thing Elon said at the FT Future of Cars conference, demand is now exceeding production to a ridiculous degree. We are actually probably going to limit or just stop taking orders for anything beyond a certain period of time because some of the timing for delivery of new orders is more than a year away. So to give you some perspective on what we're talking about here, a new long-range Model Y now shows a delivery timeline of between February 2023 and May 2023. Now, of course, more expensive versions of the vehicle like the Model Y Performance 
get a much faster delivery time uh, of July to September of this year. Um, and Model 3s are still available by the end of this year. But yeah, I mean, the the delivery timeline has gone from just a, like a few weeks to a few months to now a year. A year. And it's really hard for Tesla to kind of price that because they don't know what's going to happen with money <laughs> in a year. But I do think that this also goes back to Tesla having ridden this wave really smartly. What do you mean? They've seamlessly gone from one type of economy to another. They've gone from a like, Tesla, what's that? Who's he? To selling $100,000 Model S's and X's to I want a cheap Model 3 right now where they were selling. Oh, you know, back in like 2017. Yeah, when they were selling, you know, $40,000 Model 3's. And now with supply chain shortages and all of that um, and, and inflation, they've been able to steadily move the price up without anyone getting super mad at any one particular time. Uh, sort of like how Rivian just one day raised their prices by $10,000, $15,000. And everyone went, oh, excuse me. And then they had to roll back on that because they made everyone so mad. Tesla's just slowly but surely been moving up the price. And I think people have gotten the message, oh, the prices are going to go up. I have some time to kind of figure out what I want to do. But now people who are like, oh, I just heard about Tesla. I want to buy a Tesla. And then they look, oh, it's very expensive. I think that Tesla's done a really good job of moving from you know economy to economy uh, very seamlessly. I think the takeaway here is if you want to order a Tesla, then order it now. I know it's $100. I know that's not refundable, but order it now. And then, you know, worst, worst case, you lost $100. Hey, it would really help us out if you hit the like button. Really appreciate it. So last July, Volkswagen acquired Navistar International for $3.7 billion. Now, part of that deal included the International Harvester brand, more commonly known as just International. And now, 42 years after the last International Scout rolled off the line, VW announced that they will be spinning off Scout as a new EV brand. So they're showing their teaser, their early concept drawings there, but doesn't that just look like a Rivian? Yeah, it's pretty shockingly close. Uh, now, if we overlay it, uh, you can see that it the nose is a little bit shorter. It has rounder wheel wells and it has a little bit more ground clearance, although I don't know what stance that R1T is in. Uh, but other than that, the cab and the bed is like nearly identical. And I mean, their other vehicle looks like the R1S, a bit less with the shorter wheelbase, more of a Range Rover look. So when will these come out? Uh, by 2026. What's going to make people want this over, say, a Rivian, which, if all is going well, should be more established company in four years? Well, uh, it should cost more like $40,000. No. I'll believe that when I see it. Yeah, that number was brought up last year by VW America COO uh, Johan D. Nyshen. So last year's numbers, I'm going to guess it's going to be more like $50,000. Oh, um, no, no. More. You think more than Come that? on. <laughs> this isn't this isn't a little uh, counter box. But I mean, VW is going to spin off Scout as a new company? Yeah, it'll start with a $100 million investment from VW with more money to follow, probably up to a billion dollars, some sources say. Um, and there's even talk of making it its own public company with uh, shares traded on stock exchanges. I mean, I feel like VW is a bit late to the ballgame here. I mean, I bet this would have worked out much better in the spring of 2021 uh, during that EV bubble. And I mean, this really shows Big Auto's hands, right? Uh, they paid over $3 billion for arguably nothing. I mean, you get the Scout brand, which, like you pointed out, hasn't been made for over 40 years. So that means you're talking to people older than me, because I remember my uncle used to own mm -hmm. a Scout International, mm -hmm. and it was a cool truck that he loved. But 
most of the people you're going to be pitching this to probably aren't going to be driving much longer. Well, okay, yes, but I do think that it's, you know, classic or whatever. But also, you know, when they purchased Navistar, it also came with Navistar, which is a big truck company. So this, it, it includes, um, you know, like two simple that we've talked uh, about. So there's a lot of other stuff that was in that deal. It's just that, like, you know, they threw in International Harvester because gotcha. the company had gone out of business and, the, you know, just the rights of it were lumped in with Navistar. Right. So, I mean, they're kind of reviving this brand. I mean, Rivian was able to start a brand new EV pickup truck and SUV company. Successfully is still up in the air to say successfully. Uh, but I just don't get like they obviously did this because they want to get into this market, this right. SUV model. Uh, but why not just start one fresh? Like, why does it have to have a name that's been around for a while? When it's not has nothing to do with that legacy. It will have nothing to do with the legacy. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it will not be built on the MEB platform. So it won't be built on VW's established parts and everything. It's going to be built from the ground up, which I think is okay. I mean, okay. I mean, I don't love the MEB platform. We tested the ID4 last year and I really didn't no, care I get for that. It. I just I just doubt this is even going to happen. Or if it does, it'll happen at that timeline or at that price. None of that's going to happen. <laughs> I predict. Yeah, well, right we'll have to see. All right, so check this out, Jesse. Harley Davidson just released their second electric motorcycle, the Del Mar. It is a street tracker. Whatever that means. <laughs> okay. Uh, how much is it going to cost? The target price, I don't know what they mean when they say that. Probably means they haven't figured out the final price is $15,000. Now, that's $8,000 less than the Livewire 1. The whole point of this motorcycle, I think, is it's a lighter motorcycle less range mm -hmm. and i think they really wanted to get the price down and get this into like probably younger riders who don't have as much money mm -hmm. so they have a hundred launch editions that have been sold out because they only made a hundred of them uh at seventeen thousand seven hundred dollars each oh uh this goes zero to 60 in 3.5 seconds versus the livewire one which goes zero to 60 in three seconds mm -hmm. it's 440 pounds so it is a bit lighter it only has level one and level two charging though okay. um, i mean come on it's 2022 and you can't fast charge this thing I feel like this is kind of a weak response to Zero Motorcycles, which has a wide selection of electric motorcycles. You know, Zero has much lower starting price uh, electric offerings, mm -hmm. um, and they offer similar ranges in the 100-ish miles. Yeah, I should have mentioned that. This has about 100 miles of urban range. So read that as if you get on the highway, you're not going to get 100 miles because obviously the faster you go, the less range you get. So I'm guessing it has something like 60 miles of highway range. And let's just be honest, at that point, I think it's a toy for most people. A motorcycle has to go, in my opinion, 150, 200 miles. I, I agree. And everyone that we've been talking to who likes motorcycles wants a range around that because they want to go for a ride, right. um, which is completely understandable. I think that this is a more urban. They're going urban. And you can tell in the marketing, they're like, what's urban? I don't know. Graffiti. What if we <laughs> jump a skateboarder over the bike? That's so urban. Wow. We're Harley Davidson. And we don't know what <laughs> the youth is doing in the cities because we're Harley Davidson. I mean, look, the Del Mar is a very powerful bike. Um, yeah. It would be comparable with Zero's most expensive uh, SRF and SRS models, which cost upwards of $20,000. So okay. if they can keep their price target of $15,000, that I think would be the selling point that it's like this torquey, powerful, punchy, you know, city bike. Mm. I just Range. Uh, range is, is a big question. It, within a city, like I guess if you lived within L.A., or if you LA lived LA is a in, lot of miles to get anywhere. It's true, but I mean it would be – 
just enough. I don't, know. I don't know. I don't think they have it yet. But I, I want to know. Maybe this is the bike for you. So let us know down in the comments below because I'm not a motorcycle rider. Right. So I can only assume. I can only guess. I want to know what you think down in the comments below. Hey, and don't forget, we're getting the uh, Sondor's Metacycle, I think, in June, which... Uh has a lot of cool specs and it has a lot cheaper price tag. Yeah. So there are three major utility grids in the United States. Take a look at this chart, Jess. Wait, I thought each grid was gonna have like a third of the states. I mean, Texas has its own grid. <laughs> yep. And it's a very fragile grid too. Remember uh, February, 2021, the power crisis in Texas when some severe winter storms caused millions to experience blackouts throughout the state and caused hundreds of deaths and about $200 billion in damages. So why are we talking about this? I mean, what does this have to do with Tesla? Well, now that Tesla is headquartered in Texas, they want to be good neighbors. So ERCOT, which is Texas's grid operator, put out a notice over the weekend saying, with unseasonably hot weather driving record demand across Texas, this afternoon, six power generation facilities tripped offline, resulting in the loss of approximately 2,900 megawatts of electricity. At this time, all generation resources available are operating. We're asking Texans to conserve power when they can by setting their thermostats to 78 degrees or above and avoiding the usage of large appliances such as dishwashers, washers, and dryers during peak hours between 3 p.m. and 8 p.m. throughout the weekend. It's only May. May. <laughs> yeah, I know. But what, again, what does this have to do with Tesla? Well, Tesla was able to react quickly and send this notice to Tesla owners throughout the region. Quote, a heat wave is expected to impact the grid in Texas over the next few days. The grid operator recommends to avoid charging during peak hours between 3 p.m. and 8 p.m. if possible to help statewide efforts to manage demand. Now, according to registry info, there are approximately 120,000 EVs on the road in Texas. If 75% of them are Teslas, because that's Tesla's U.S. market share, then there are 90,000 Teslas with an average battery size of 75 kilowatt hours or 6.7 gigawatt hours of battery capacity. Now, I'm not saying that all 90,000 Teslas would charge at the same time during this window. And even if they did, they wouldn't all charge from zero to 100%. But Tesla notifying owners is a great way to help the grid. And I just love the initiative because it's not a washer and dryer, but it is a big power draw. And Tesla is trying to let everyone know, hey, let's just not charge during these hours and help the grid out. And I mean, Tesla could be doing more of this in the future, especially when there's V2G. Yeah, and I mean, I think it'd be pretty cool if you had like an option in your app to say like, hey, if the grid needs me to stop charging, uh, just stop charging automatically. Right. I don't have to unplug it because the, the car can stop itself from charging. So it could work. It would be great if you got paid a little something to allow your Tesla to be controlled from the grid. I mean, imagine if there was a small fee that you would get to be like, oh, OK, the grid just uh, turned off my charging for a few hours. Right. I think that this is something that could happen in the future, especially when we see V to G, because then it could go in, in reverse yep. and you could, your car could be helping power everyone else's air conditioning units. So that way they don't have to set them to 78 degrees in your house. I know. Imagine if they had six gigawatt hours available to them. Exactly. So Tesla is recalling 130,000 of their cars, the 2021, 2022 Model S, X, 3, and Y, saying the infotainment central processing unit may overheat during the preparation or process of fast charging, causing the CPU to lag or restart. A lagging or restarting CPU may prevent the center screen from displaying the rear view camera image, gear selection, windshield visibility control settings, and warning lights, increasing the risk of a crash. Tesla will perform an over-the-air software update that will improve CPU temperature management free of charge. So obviously the media loves this. Oh my gosh, uh, 130,000 Teslas being recalled. 
They could get into crashes. Oh, it's dangerous. Uh, but it's a software fix, and Tesla's already rolling out the update. And what do owners have to do? Oh, they have to hit a button either in the car or on their phone while they're sitting on the toilet. Now, I want to point out why this happens to Teslas. A lot of people might be like, because Teslas are crap. No, it's because Tesla is iterating so fast and they keep pushing the envelope that they're trying to get their cars to do more and more things. They're trying to add more functionality, more efficiency, and they're trying to get more out of the hardware. But if you do that, occasionally you will bump into things that are unintended consequences, right? Mm -hmm. So many other companies out there, they get something working and they're like, okay, it's working. Step away. Tesla does not do that. Not, it's not even step away. It's that they have to ship it out because they only right. make, okay, did Unplug the thing that was flashing the firmware on that chip. All right. See you later. Exactly. It's such a difference that nobody in the media seems to understand because they keep going recall. And that's what's so annoying is that the mass public just keeps seeing Tesla and recall all the time, not knowing that it really isn't that. So we have a day one reservation for the Tesla semi truck, which we placed during the semi reveal event on November 16th, 2017. Remember that? Yeah, the semi was slated to start deliveries in 2019. Uh, it is now 2022 and Tesla appears to have opened up its reservation page. So now anyone with $20,000 burning a hole in their pocket can reserve one as well. So what's the plan? Why did we reserve a semi-truck again? Well, remember, we want to get butts and seats. We mm -hmm. want to help Tesla transition the world to clean, sustainable transportation. And we have a YouTube channel with thousands of people watching. So we are going to be getting the Tesla semi so we can drive it around, show it to you, answer your questions, see how well it works. Does it actually save money compared to a diesel big rig? Where do you charge it? How much can it haul? Let's build a mobile now you know studio and travel around the world and report from the road. Let's go. All right, hit the like button if that sounds cool to you. And yeah, we wanna get this truck in the hands of real truckers as well so that they can experience uh, what an EV truck might feel like and truly understand what the charging is gonna be like and you know, as soon as possible, get that truck in our hands so we can start showing it to you. So the National Highway and Safety Administration and Rivian just announced that they will be recalling 502 of their R1T electric pickup trucks saying, if a child's seat or a child is seated in the front passenger seat, the passenger airbag might not be deactivated as required. In the event of a crash which deploys the front passenger airbag, the infant in the child's seat or child occupant may have an increased risk of injury. The potentially affected vehicle production period began on September 21st, 2021, when Rivian started to build vehicles with the suspect seat assemblies and ended on April 12th, 2022, when Rivian stopped building with the suspect seat assemblies. The suspect population was determined using the supplier's seat manufacturing records, seat calibration data, and Rivian component traceability information. Uh, okay, so a software update, right? No, uh, unfortunately, these have to be physically replaced. Rivian will be replacing the faulty seats at the seat supplier's expense. Okay, so are we part of this? Because we bought a Rivian. Yeah, we got ours uh, early April, so it must be part of this group, I think. I haven't gotten the notice yet, but I'm guessing it is. Okay. Luckily, we're not, we don't plan on putting any kids in the front car seat for a while. But the problem is, I think the key issue is that the trucks have been bought all over the country now. And they have to be brought back to only Rivian service centers. The closest one to us, we're in Massachusetts. The closest one is down in Brooklyn, New York. So I don't really feel like driving down there just to get a seat replaced. I'm not going to let kids sit in the front seat anyway. This is a problem with a new young company because they don't have a lot of service centers yet. And I mean, Tesla went through these similar sort of growing pains as well when they first started. I mean, I mean all new EV startups are going to be doing this. Right. Um, we're not just blaming Rivian. Yeah. And I mean, it, of course, it was the seat manufacturer. It wasn't Rivian's fault. But it is too bad that they couldn't just update 
some piece of software. I mean, I'm no. guessing it's a hardware problem. Probably. Now, we gave you a taste of Rivian's Q1 results last week as they had just released a few key numbers. But as of the close of markets last Wednesday, Rivian released their full Q1 results and their shareholder letter. Rivian had $95 million in revenue and a loss of $1.6 billion for the quarter. Rivian still has almost $17 billion in cash from their IPO last year, so they've got a bit of a runway, but they need to start making money on each sale. Guidance from Rivian management is for a total loss of $4.7 billion for 2022 and 25,000 units of production with $2.6 billion in capital expenditures. Rivian says that building in low volumes on a production line meant for high volume has caused each truck to be unprofitable, and they hope that will start to change as production rates increase towards 150000 per year, which is their new goal. Rivian appears to be making 300 vehicles per week, or about 5,000 produced as of May 9th. To reach the goal of 25000 by the end of the year, Rivian would need to double their current run rate. So the current number of pre-orders now stands at 90,000. Rivian also talked about building their upcoming R2, which is going to be their mid-price model, which will be built at their Georgia plant. So I think that the biggest positive in Rivian's boat here is their big lump of cash that they got from their big IPO. Yeah, a lot of other EV startups got some cash during their IPO, but 100 million or 200 million just doesn't cut it nowadays because uh, getting production up and running takes a lot of cash. You can see how expensive this yeah, is. Yeah, four or five billion dollars this year yeah. burned. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they've got to really ramp up production to get each unit to start being profitable. And I mean, getting it to just be one or 2% profitable is not enough. You have to get up to 10% at least margins. Now, I mean, they are sitting pretty on their $17 billion in cash, but it doesn't last forever. It doesn't last forever. And I mean, if you're going to get a new model, the R2, mm -hmm. up and running, that's a whole new ball of wax. Yeah, and now, more billions of dollars. Right. I mean, I think it's a smart idea. It's like what Tesla did with mm -hmm. the Roadster, right? You get the uh, Model S and the Roadster out, and then you go down to the Model 3 and the Model Y. So yes, uh, if they can get a lower price truck, but it has to have a lot of cool features. The range still has to be high. Uh, it still has to be able to do all the towing. So like... Are they going to be able to pull that off? I'm not so sure about that. I don't know. Um, let us know what you think in the comments down below. I mean, there are plenty of other EV startups that are in worse shape than Rivian. And while we're talking about electric pickup trucks, if you are interested in the Cybertruck, head on over to our friends at the Cybertruck Owners Club. There you're going to find Crowdsource Reservation Tracker so you can find your place in line. You can check out their website for Cybertruck news and discussions and community for Cybertruck enthusiasts and future owners. And don't forget their 3D configurator so you can put a wrap on your truck and see what it looks like in both on-screen and augmented reality. And speaking of Rivian, on last week's In-Depth that we did, we wanted to show everyone two of the Rivian R1T pickup truck's power tool capabilities. Yeah, the Rivian has both an air compressor and two 120-volt electrical outlets in the bed. We wanted to see what kind of work you can do with them, so we tested everything from easy to hard with all sorts of tools, both pneumatic and electric. Is it just an adventure vehicle, or can you really do work with the Rivian? So check out our in-depth. Link is in the description to find out. And speaking of our Rivian, we just got the Rivian Yakima tent working, so we'll be doing a camping trip. Um, but we also want to show you how the Rivian does towing a camper. And this is where you come in. If you have a camper that you wouldn't mind letting us borrow for a couple nights and you live in the New England area, we would love to come visit you in the Rivian. So fill out this Google form that we have down in the show notes below and maybe we'll see you soon. Electric dirt bikes. Yeah, remember we reviewed the Alta electric dirt bike a couple years ago? Well, Ethan just got his hands on two of Cake's electric dirt bikes, the Kalk and the Kalk OR, or off-road. And he ran them through their paces on some trails up in New Hampshire. You can see his entire review over on our sister channel, Now Let's Review. Yeah, you and Ethan reviewed Cake's mopeds last fall, and those were a lot of fun. 
Yeah, Cake is this really interesting Swedish company with a different approach to design and functionality. And it's great to see that Ethan has grown up on dirt bikes, so he knows what to look for and how to put them through their paces off-road. He got some great footage showing how the Kalk performs. If you're thinking about electric off-road mobility, then you should definitely check out this review. Hawaiian Airlines just announced that they plan to offer free fast Wi-Fi on their planes starting next year. I wonder how they plan to do that. They will be using SpaceX's Starlink satellites for their new Wi-Fi offering. And according to Hawaiian Airlines, they will be the first airline to use this service. It'll be installed on their fleet of 42 Airbus A330s and A321neo jets, along with their upcoming Boeing 787 Dreamliners coming next year. It'll be available to all guests, including the economy main cabin. Starlink's VP of sales, Jonathan Hoffeller, said Hawaiian Airlines is ensuring its passengers will experience high-speed internet the way we expect it in the 21st century, making hassles like downloading movies before takeoff a relic of the past. And I just want to say aloha and thank you to Peely for sharing the story with us, because I don't know what's going on in Hawaii all the time, yeah. but you guys do. So thank you for sharing these stories. So we get a lot of messages from viewers who want to see Tesla enter the Indian market. Yeah, it would be huge if Tesla did this, right? I mean, 1.38 billion people. India is the fourth largest passenger car producer in the world. In 2019, India produced over 4 million cars, and there are currently 30 million cars on Indian roads. Last year, Tesla formed an official corporation in India, in Bengaluru, and we've reported on Tesla's testing on Indian roads. So what has Tesla been waiting for? Well, India has a 60% import duty on imported cars, and Tesla has asked for the Indian government to drop that so that Tesla can begin importing their cars into India while they work on building a gigafactory there. India, on the other hand, I think is worried that if Tesla is allowed to import cars, they'll just keep importing cars and India won't be able to grow its manufacturing economy. Now Reuters is reporting that apparently Tesla has withdrawn its head of Indian policy, Manoj Karana from Delhi, and sent them back to the U.S. Yeah, Reuters said Tesla has put on hold plans to sell electric cars in India, abandoned a search for showroom space and reassigned some of its domestic team after failing to secure lower import taxes. Three people familiar with the matter told Reuters. Now, I think this is interesting because other car manufacturers understand that India is an important market. I mean, Mercedes-Benz just announced that they'll be opening an EV assembly plant in India. That way they can get around the import mm -hmm. fees. Um, and so many people are still asking, OK, well then Tesla, why don't you just open a factory there? I think it comes down to whether or not Tesla would be successful in India. I, I don't think that we know this for sure. I don't think that anybody really, truly knows this. A lot of people have a lot of different opinions online. Every time I read any kind of article about this, there is disagreement down in the comments. Nobody buys cars in India. Uh, this this is one of the largest car markets in the world. Why wouldn't it? I don't think that we truly know whether or not Tesla would be successful at their current price points in India. And not only that, it's a chicken and the egg, I think. Um, you have to have a charging network. So obviously Tesla would have to build out a supercharger network. Mm -hmm. You can't just build that out for free. So you have to kind of do it like they did in any market, like the US or Europe, where you build it out slowly as you begin selling cars. And so I think Elon knows they have to begin selling cars test out which models are going to work. I mean, because maybe none of the models will work there. Maybe they need a new model. Um, and so if it doesn't work, they don't want to have built a whole factory. I think that this move that Tesla is making is kind of a power play. Um, this is going to probably upset a lot of Indian people who are going, I really do want a Tesla factory in India. Why is my government not 
trying to make that happen right. in any way. I mean, I do think that uh, the Indian government holds a lot of the cards here. Yeah. They could say, okay, for you know a 12-month period, we'll drop the import duties right. or something like that. It seems like there's plenty of room to make a deal here. Yeah. It is annoying that they're basically taking such a hardline stance on Tesla saying like, no, you have to build a factory here or get out. Right. Not the best strategy, in my opinion, for India. It could really set them back. Uh, years, if not decades. So last Thursday, the Taiwanese company Foxconn announced that it has officially closed on its purchase of the Lordstown Motors Ohio assembly plant for $230 million. Foxconn then announced on Friday that it would be building the Fisker Pair, or Personal Electric Automotive Revolution EV, at this newly acquired plant. I thought Foxconn was going to be building the endurance pickup truck at the Lordstown plant. Well, it's a big plant. It's 6.2 million square feet. So it appears that Foxconn plans to build both the fully electric endurance pickup truck and the Fisker Pair EV at this plant. So the endurance should start production later this year and the Fisker Pair should enter production in 2024. Fisker says the pair will have a price starting below $30,000 before incentives and Foxconn and Fisker plan to produce 250,000 of these per year when fully ramped. So have we seen the pair before? Is it going to be pear shaped? I don't know why they're calling it the pear. Uh, here's a teaser image. Uh, Henrik Fisker says it will be unlike anything anyone has ever seen on the roads before. Wow. <laughs> Holy crap. Um, OK, but I'm still a bit confused about Foxconn. So I get that they so they bought the plant from Lordstown. Is Lordstown still making the endurance pickup truck? So Foxconn not only bought the plant, they also signed a manufacturing agreement. So Foxconn will be building the endurance pickup truck. So the 400 or so Lordstown employees are becoming Foxconn employees. Both companies have formed a joint venture called MIH EV Design LLC, which will co-develop future EVs using Foxconn's MIH or Mobility in Harmony platform. Foxconn is investing $145 million into Lordstown to keep it afloat. Production of the endurance pickup truck is planned for Q3 of this year with deliveries starting in Q4. So in the U.S., the endurance will go under the Lordstown brand. Now, it's been a while, uh, but we still have our reservation for the endurance pickup truck, right? Yeah. Um, do you, th do you think we should keep it? I don't know. Let us know your thoughts in the comments below. I mean, part of me wants to keep it so that we can show it to you and compare it to all the other pickup trucks we're going to have, because maybe it's going to be a perfectly good truck. Mm -hmm. Although we have heard, you know, about battery fires and other things. So like now I'm, I'm worrying about its quality, but in terms of showing it to you, I think, yes, we should get it. Am I excited that much to get it? Not as much. No. Interesting. It's an interesting move by Foxconn. It's, oh, really smart. I mean, really cheap. I mean, they bought Lordstown for really cheap. And they, they're basically buying the factory, which they got cheap, the technology, and the name. It's a really smart move. A lot of Chinese companies do this. Um, they wait till things look really dire for a company, and then they come and swoop in and buy it and use their manufacturing know-how to get it done. So I think it's kind of interesting uh, that, you know, uh, Mike Pence was at that factory. Big American flags, banners all over the up the wazoo, American trucks. Uh, now it gets bought by a Taiwanese company. Uh, I wonder how many people who saw Mike Pence at that event n realize this and uh, care. I mean, it's still going to be an American truck, right? It's American made in made. America. So, I mean, you know. Well, I don't know. Let us know what you think in the comments below. Let's go from one electric pickup truck to another. Uh, electric startup Canoe, the company started by former Faraday Future employees, is now a publicly traded company with the ticker symbol GoEV after going public with a SPAC in December of 2020. Yeah, Canoe's latest Q1 earnings report was concerning for investors. With only $104 million in cash on hand, 
They had a loss of $125 million for the first three months of the year. So Canoe was forced to admit that, quote, there is substantial doubt about the company's ability to continue as a going concern. Now, this is something Canoe had to say because of accounting rules. When you're burning through cash this fast, that's what you have to say. Is it possible that as CEO Tony Aquila says, we have more than 600 million in accessible capital to support startup production as operators and investors. We have significant experience raising capital in challenging markets. And the best way to raise capital is to achieve your goals. We will continue to raise when needed, bridge to milestones and be in a position to take advantage of improving market conditions. Uh, OK, wait. So they have one hundred and four million dollars cash on hand mm-hmm. in, the, in the past three months. They burned one hundred and twenty five million. Mm-hmm. So they're going to need to start raising capital now. Uh, now, now would be a good time to start raising capital because it right. seems like you don't have enough ca- uh, like like money to make it through the, this quarter. Right. It seems to me that Canoe is in serious trouble. And I mean, all the good news doesn't mean that much if they can't get through what Elon has said many times is the hardest part, which is mass production. Also, Canoe is suing their second largest shareholder, Pak Tom Lee of DD Global, citing suspicious stock share sales. That is not a good sign. Okay, so uh, what's the what's the good news? Well, Canoe points out that they have seventeen thousand five hundred pre-orders worth seven hundred fifty million, and that they have produced thirty nine gamma vehicles. They also point out that NASA just selected them to make ground transportation vehicles for the Artemis Moon Project. But Canoe expects operating expenses of between ninety five to one hundred fifteen million, and capital expenditures of between eighty five and one hundred five million just this quarter alone. So you add those two numbers together. Add them together. Um, so that would be about $200 million a quarter, and they only have $100 million of cash on hand. Right. And even if they carry out their fundraising, so $300 million of that is issuing more stock, which is likely to pull down their stock price even further. Ouch. Um, okay. So now we're getting down into the uh, Lordstown section where it's in the it's in the uh, reject discount bin at the yeah. store. And do you think some other OEM might buy them? I was thinking that Foxconn <laughs> might buy them uh, like they did with Lordstown um, and roll production into their new Ohio plant. So just it's the island of misfit toys. <laughs> just yeah, we'll take the Fisker. We'll take the, the canoe, whatever. Back it on in. If people have pre, you know reservations for I mean, it would be nice. I think people would appreciate that. Right. A lot of people like this truck and I don't well, blame them. And here's the thing. Foxconn knows how to produce things. So, I mean, a lot of these other companies, you might be like, why are you picking on them? I'm picking on them because it's hard to get from idea and design and prototype to mass production. Mm -hmm. Foxconn knows about mass production. So, yeah, it might be a win-win, right? Because you get these pretty cool designs. I love that van and a lot of people like the pickup truck. Um, And then a company that knows how to make them. Let us know in the comments what you think. Do you want a canoe slash Foxconn truck or not? Or do you want nothing? Because <laughs> it looks like that might be it. You lose, sir. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, let us know what you think. Hey, and if you would like to share the story with your friends, but you don't want to share this entire one-hour episode, go to our Now You Know Clips channel. It's a special channel we made where we put all these little bite-sized news clips that are like a few minutes long. You can easily share them. All right, it's time for Into the Future, sponsored by our friends over at Henson Shaving. If you use our code now you know when checking out with your brand new Henson Shaver over at HensonShaving.com, you will get a hundred free blades. Um, so that is two hundred shaves with a fresh 
sharp razor blade. And you might be asking like why we're working with a shaving company on Now You Know. Well, first of all, it's a sustainable shaver. This is something that's gonna last your entire life. You'll probably hand it down to your grandkids. And there's no plastic involved. All the blades are metal. Um, and so when you get rid of them, you can actually recycle them. Unlike right. your cartridge razor, which is a bunch of different plastics uh, together with a bunch of very, very sharp metal, which makes it very hard to for someone to like take it apart and put the plastics in one section and put the metal in another section. These blades are great and they're fully recyclable. So does this ever happen to you? The trucks always wake me up. I'm right at the corner, so it like even shakes my windows. Yeah, big diesel garbage trucks. I feel like they're this universal thing, like every city or town I've ever gone to, whether it's here in the US and Canada or in Europe, Big diesel garbage trucks rumble through the streets, making noise, spewing diesel exhaust. We've reported on companies making all electric garbage trucks, and now another company, XL Fleet, has introduced another one, the all-electric curb tender. So XL Fleet partnered with Curb Tender, which is a Midwestern company that designs and manufactures commercial garbage trucks, to make a six- eight or 10 cubic yard garbage truck with a compactor. The electric garbage collection slash compactor system sits on a Ford F600 chassis, which XL electrified. So they just unveiled it at the Waste Expo 2022 convention in Las Vegas. Damn, we missed it again Darn this it. year. Oh. And the company says they have a lot of interest from buyers. The first trucks should start production later this year. So please, if you see one of these trucks picking up garbage near you, take some video so we can all experience it. I want to know how loud it is. I want to know like how well it works. It might be hard for you to spot because you might just like, where did our garbage come? I forgot to put the trash out. <laughs> and another Into the Future story, uh, one of the biggest pushbacks we hear about EVs is, what are they going to do with all those batteries? Throw them out? Burn them? Nope. Batteries are recyclable. And to prove it, Tesla has published its latest battery recycling numbers in its 2021 impact report. Yeah, in 2021, Tesla recycled 1,500 tons of nickel, 300 tons of copper, and 200 tons of cobalt. That's over $60 million worth of materials. And Tesla says it now has a recycling capacity of over 50 tons of recycled material per week. The problem, Tesla says, is that it's only receiving a small number of customer batteries. Why, you might be asking? Because most Tesla batteries are still working great, even after 10 years on the road. Now, in a related story, Hydrovolt, which is a joint venture between Norway's Hydro, one of the world's largest aluminum companies, and Northvolt, which is the Swedish battery maker, they've now become the largest battery recycler in Europe by opening a new factory in Fredrikstad, Norway. This new battery recycling facility has the capacity to process 12,000 tons of batteries per year. That's about 25,000 EV batteries. That's enough recycling to take care of all of Norway's EVs, by the way. Oh, wow. uh, so Hydrovolt claims it can recover 95% of the materials in the pack, including plastics, copper, aluminum, nickel, manganese, cobalt, and lithium. And did you know that it only takes about 5% of the energy to recycle aluminum, for instance, than it does to get it from mining the earth? Yeah. I mean, so that's why it's so much better to get it from recycling. We went and visited Ascend Elements a while back, a battery recycling company here in Massachusetts. You can check out our interview with Ascend CEO on our Disruptive Investing channel here. We got lots of great information on the battery recycling industry. Bottom line though, battery recycling is becoming a thing and it will become more and more important as more and more batteries reach end of life. So it's so much better and cheaper to recycle materials than it is to mine new ones. All right, it's time for Going Green and we're sponsored by EcoWare. Remember that you can find really cool designs over there in EcoWare, over a hundred of them. You can get your Father's Day present using our code 
I love dad um, and get 10% off. And everything there is carbon neutral. And then we make it carbon negative by planting trees and capping wells. All right. So this is arguably a weird going green. Yeah. Elik is a Ukrainian electric bike and motorbike company based in Chernobyl. And they have begun supplying the Ukrainian army with the company's Elik Adam motorbikes that you are seeing here. Mamuka Mamushvili is a commander of a unit in the Ukrainian army. He told the war zone that he requested these electric Elik motorbikes for his sniper teams. Mamulashvili said his teams use the electric bikes to quietly insert into a target area, engage the enemy from a distance, and then quickly leave before the Russians respond with artillery strikes on that location. Okay. Yeah. Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's a weird story. I mean, I'm, we're going green for war. I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing, but that's what's going on in the world. I mean, listen to how quiet this is and how fast you can move. I mean, has anything like this ever been available before? Not really. And what's cool is you can get around both urban and rural environments so easily on an electric dirt bike. Look, I know this is definitely a weird going green, but honestly, if a soldier who had driven an e-bike into battle comes back from war, you're not telling me that that's not the ultimate butts and seats experience, right? I mean, they're going to be electric fans forever after that. They're going to be telling stories to their grandkids of like, I drove into battle. No one saw me or heard me. And then I got out all because of this electric bike. I've got it in the garage. You want to go check it out? Right. I mean, we've been doing a lot of e-bike reviews on the Now Let's Review channel. And uh, yeah, they're really quiet and stealthy. And it's it's great for, you know, not disturbing the wildlife or people while you're riding maybe, along. Maybe but... you and Ethan should start rating them on sniper activity. <laughs> Sniper ability is 7 out of 10. All right, it's time for sunspots. So file the story under if you needed another reason to go solar. Consumer Reports surveyed 1,000 U.S. homeowners to find out their reasons for and against getting rooftop solar. And here's what they found. So for those that did go solar, uh, you can see benefit the environment, energy security, reduce your energy bill, you know, be in the shade and so forth. For those that didn't go solar, uh, too expensive, unsure how incentives works, uh, waiting on next tech advancement, uh, credit concerns, unsure how solar works and their roof isn't suitable for solar. I hear this one a lot, the waiting on the next tech advancement. It's like, yeah, I'm going to do that as soon as they come up with 100 uh, percent efficient <laughs> panel. I'm, that should be any day now. Right. I just j just in case. You're one of these people who is like, yeah, I hear that these, you know, panels are only 20% efficient. That sounds like trash. I want to wait until at least 50% efficient panels. They're not coming. Uh, well, I mean, and they may come down the road, but it's maybe like, 50%, but we're never going to get 100% efficient. But let's say panels. that we do. Let's say in 100 years or something, whatever it's we do. Be a really long time. It's going to be a long time. And in the meantime, you're missing out. Is the right. kind of the point here. Because homeowners who adopted solar spent $11,735 on average, and it took them about seven years to see a return on investment. 70% of homeowners polled were pleased by the substantial increase in home value after installation. Homeowners who switched to solar saw an average annual savings of $1,587. But to me, this chart from Redfin showing the average overall selling price of homes versus green homes that sold in the last year is an amazing testament to how much people in many parts of the country value green homes. So check this out. These are the top 10 cities where green homes sell. St. Petersburg, Florida. You go to sell your house and it's green, right? You're going to get 159% more money for that house than the average house. Even if we go to one of the bottom 10 cities, let's go to Omaha, Nebraska. Green homes sold for 8% higher. So this argument that putting solar on your roof isn't, you know, no one's going to like it is not true anymore. 
because you've already put in that investment into the roof and anyone who buys the house from you is going to see savings because they're basically going to be inheriting a lower electricity bill because it's going to be offset by the panels on your roof. Exactly. And People understand that when they're buying homes and they're they're factoring in everything and saying, what are my utility costs going to be? And most of them are going to learn and understand solar. And as soon as they realize I'm going to be saving a boatload of money every month, you know, what is it, $1,500 a year? Yeah. They're going to say, well, that factors right into my down payment, right into my monthly mortgage payment. But look, I know you've got questions. Going solar has a lot of questions to it. Things are changing all the time. So call our friends at Energy Pal. They're the team that knows about going solar for less. They're going to answer your questions for free, help you to go solar. And you might be saying for free. They're going to answer your questions for free because the money that they get comes from your installer. And so you're not paying any money for it. And you might be saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. It sounds like somebody's getting money. That solar installer was going to pay somebody to call you up on the phone and go, hello, sir, would you like to buy solar from this one company and we're not going to consider anybody else? Instead of paying that person who's going to bug you on the phone, instead, you're going to be talking to Energy Pal and they're going to find you the best price. Yeah. So use our link below. Tell them that Zach and Jesse sent you. All right. It's time for video contributor stories. We got two this week. Oh, okay. Uh, First, we got our friend Matt from Sunlight Conversions. Zach and Jesse, how you doing? Just thought I would update you on one of my latest projects. I guess it was about six months ago when you guys did your video on electric landscaping. Um, So the video just blew me away. You guys broke down all the costs and benefits of going electric. So I took that video and sent it to probably 10 local landscapers. And about a month or so ago, one of them got back to me. He's a horticulturist. And I guess about a year ago, he had already converted everything to electric. And he decided it was time to take it to the next step and Um, convert his trailer to solar and battery so he can charge throughout the day. The solar panels uh, get about 8 point, I'm sorry, 1.82 kilowatts of solar. So on a good day, he could pull in about 10 kilowatt hours. So he's got 10 kilowatt hours of storage. Um, and we, we calculate that should be pretty good to get him through most days. And then a nice good sunny day, he can do another 10 kilowatt hours from the solar panels. Um, so these inverters can do about six kilowatt peak and about 4,800 watts continuous. Um, so there's actually two inverters, so they're each handling one leg of 120, so they can have a 240 volt output too. We've got two 20 amp circuits. We've got our two solar MPPT controllers. Um, and everything is online and um, all the data is collected all day. So we can, over time, realize exactly how much he's using, how much he's making, and see if we need to tweak anything. Got our display. So right now, battery is at 84%. It's late in the day and we have some shade, but we're still pulling in 260 watts of solar. So the grid, um, we're actually charging from the grid and the solar at the same time. But the grid is actually our off-grid shop which i'll show you in a minute and then our ac loads 
4,500 watts is actually um, charging my car. So we're just doing this all for testing. So I'm charging my Tesla right now from the trailer and uh, everything's working great. And then we also have a fan, a thermostat controlled fan to try to keep this trailer cool during the day. And let's take a look at the garage. So this is our, um, our off-grid shop and it's powered by this pergola, which we put in last summer. And since we put it in, the shop has been completely off-grid. Uh, um, powers everything I need and then also send the excess power to my car. Wiring's still a little crazy, um, so don't look too closely, but uh, we've got our inverter. We've got 11 kilowatt hours of battery. We've got our solar MPPT controller. And I'll show you where we are plugged into the trailer. So we're charging at 120 volts right now. Um, if you want to charge twice as fast, we've got the 220 volt input. So the trailer really is a, a mobile power source. Um, you can load it up with electric dirt bikes, take it camping for the weekend, uh, emergency power your house with it if you had to, and uh, who knows what other uses we'll think of for it. So hopefully it's the first of many solar electric landscaping trailers. Yeah. Now, isn't that cool? You may remember our friend Matt from Sunlight Convergence. He took me out on his solar-powered sailboat a couple of years ago. We sailed from New Jersey right into New York City. We've brought you the fun projects that Matt works on. Uh, like recently, he was powering an island with solar and batteries in the Caribbean. Today, Matt is working on this really cool project. And look, we forgive you, Matt, for filming that vertically. Totally. Because um, that's the coolest. This is so cool. We did that episode on electric lawn tools. Mm. Definitely go check that out if you haven't seen it. We'll put the link right here. Um, this is exactly, This is exactly what I was thinking about. A completely solar powered. Matt did so much work. He reached out to 10 <laughs> companies and then one of them said, sure. And then he worked on converting their, their trailer, which I'll bet is going to save them so much money and get them so many more clients. So Matt, awesome job. Yeah. By the way, if you need help converting your boat or your island or your business to sunlight, check out Sunlight Conversions. Matt knows his stuff. Uh, we'll put his website right there. I mean, that wiring, so, so tidy. Yeah. I can't tell, I if I did that, half the trailer would be wires. <laughs> All right, we got a second video contributor story. This is our friend Eric, the president of the Costa Rican EV Association with the Costa Rica's fifth electric car festival. Hello, Zach and Jesse. This is Eric from Costa Rica. Costa Rica is the leading country in Latin America as percentage of EV sales. Last year, three of each hundred cars sold in the Costa Rica were, were EVs. And we have not only EVs, but we have also motorcycles, bicycles, scooters, buses, and cargo vans. And, and they are all here in this mobility festival that we're having. This is the fifth time we do one, and we're very pleased to share it with you. We are also very glad to have with us the Minister of Energy and Environment of Costa Rica, to, along with his wife, who are full supporters of mobility, electric mobility. Costa Rica is ready for this energy transition and use 
its electricity grid, which is almost 100% renewable, to move uh, its fleet to use this energy clean and made in Costa Rica instead of imported fossil fuels. Here in Costa Rica, we have a very wide variety of electric cars. We have, for example, the Audi models. We also have Tesla, Chevrolet, the Chevy Bolt, the Nissan Leaf, Hyundai, Econa, and the Hyundai Ioniq. And also we have a variety of uh, Chinese models, which are doing very well, like all BYD models, like the Tang, and the Zhuang, and the Song. We have the uh, ion models like the Ion B, Ion Y, and also we have with us the first Toyota electric car and the Lexus. Costa Rica's electricity is 99% from renewable sources, so all our electricity is clean. And there's already 3,000 cars in this country, which is a lot for a pretty small country. And now you know. So thank you to Eric and the Honorable Rolando Castro, who is Costa Rica's Vice Minister of Energy and Environmental Quality. So cool to see what's going on in different parts of the world. Yeah, that's great. All right, it's time for our Patreon bonus stories. Uh, we've got a bunch of Investor Club bonus stories this week. We've also got a bunch of Patreon bonus stories this week. And you can check them out on patreon.com slash now you know. If you join us there, you'll be helping to support this show and you're going to be getting even more content from us. Uh, so yeah, we'll see you over there. And you don't want to miss this off-road Model 3. Mm-hmm. All right, we're back from the Patreon bonus stories. That was a lot of fun. We did some Investor Club bonus stories, and uh, now we got the shout-outs. These are people who support us for $5 or more a month. They are so important to what we do. I want to give them a very special shout-out. Who do we got, Jess? We got Christoph B. We got Dr. Lumen. Tim Blust. Tim Harrington. Ron Chappé. Rafael Cavalhera. Mark Dismura. Luke Stempalia. Hutch. Charles Saunders. Doug Olson. Jason Wones. Berkir Raphael Michelson. Bob Kabshef. Bill LaJoy. E.J. Duffy, Bruce Biddle, Justin Harding, Ron Kunal, Mark Harrison, Irv, Peter Fattori, Eric Mullen, and James Clegg-Hornley. Thank you so much for supporting us. The show doesn't happen without you. All right, it's time for the Patreon poll. And what did you ask this week? Uh, we asked about the Scout. What do you think? Is it a little too close to the Rivian design? Oh, the VW Scout. Yeah, Let's what do people say? I don't know. Let's check it out. Hmm. All right, it's time for Community Mail Time. Community so Steven sent us this turquoise Model S he spotted in Saratoga, California. He said, photos do not do it justice. Wow. A viewer in California wrote to us, this past Friday, May 6th, I passed by eight Rivian pickup trucks at Huntington Beach State Park in Southern California. Six of them here in the video and two more about a few minutes later after. It must be a Rivian owner's meetup. The people toward the end of the video are most likely the owners because there was no one else there. Interesting. And when I first saw that first red truck, I thought it was a Rivian with a, a tire on the back. That's not a Rivian. It'd be kind of cool, though. <laughs> it would be. Katie said her husband was driving home from work in St. Louis and spotted this Rivian and gave her the heads up that it would be driving by the house. So that's teamwork. He called ahead. Nice. Now, you know, since we got our Rivian back in April, I've been surprised by how many people have still been sending us photos and videos of Rivians. But the other night I was driving home in the Rivian and I spotted the distinctive headlights of another R1T coming toward me and I got all giddy and I realized it is amazing to see these electric pickup trucks on the road. And that explains why we're getting all these thumbs up and attention as we're driving around in ours. So thank you, Katie. Cameron from Ludlow, UK, wrote to us and said, while walking home, I heard an electric vehicle driving past me, then pulled over and parked up the road. I had to have a chat with the driver regarding his open reach van. 
OpenReach was part of the British telecommunications company. I think it is a Vauxhall Vivaro. And he was saying OpenReach will be replacing all their van stock with electric vans by 2030. Let's hope it will be sooner. I know the USA doesn't allow camera wing mirrors, but it seems the UK seems okay with them. So hopefully when the Cybertruck comes in a left-hand drive, they can be fitted with camera-based wing mirrors. Also, I saw this Honda e parked up with its slim camera wing mirrors parked in Ludlow. Oh, and if you're wondering where Ludlow is, there, there it's oh. where it is. Uh, Kathy sent us this matte green Model Y she spotted in Palo Alto, California. And Kathy also sent us these Lucid Air pics of the Lucid prototype in Fremont, California. Paul sent us this picture of an EV waste truck in Alaska. And Paul wrote to tell us about the Tesla tiny house marketing page on Tesla's website. Yeah, it says Tesla is hitting the road across Australia in a tiny house powered by 100% renewable energy. Join us at one of our upcoming locations to experience how Powerwall and solar can seamlessly integrate to power an entire home. We want to bring the Tesla tiny house to you so you can fully experience what it means to be self-powered. Our next stop could be in your town. So tell us where you'd like to see us. I'm kind of jealous that Australia gets this. It's really fun. Our patron, Paul, also went to San Diego and visited Aptera and shared these great photos. So thank you, Paul. Awesome. And Andrew in Munich, Germany, spotted the first BMW scooter parked on his street. And remember, if you want to send in your community mail time story, send them to hello at nowyouknowchannel.com. Send us photos of your solar system or cars that you see. We'd love your stories. All right, it's time for Supercharger Reviews. Let's see what we got out in the world. Hey, Zach and Jesse, this is Dave coming to you from the Abbott's Travel Center in Abbott, Texas. It is an eight-stall version three supercharger location on the southbound side of I-35, headed between Dallas and Waco. Um, not much else going on around here. This is it. It's a true truck stop. They've got showers. They've got a gym. They've got a lounge for the truckers. Uh, it's got a nice convenience store that's got everything you'd want from fashion to family planning um, check it out I'd give it definitely a 7 out of 10 just because of the variety of things you can get in the in the store itself and uh, yeah that's that's about it now you know hey Zach and Jesse I'm here at the Del Amo Mall in Torrance California off Hawthorne and Fashion Way we're in the very lowest level of the parking structure it's a 20 stall 350 amp uh, charging station Tesla it's uh, right off Hawthorne and if you go up Hawthorne you'll end up at SpaceX and if you go on down the Torrance Boulevard over here you'll be end up at the beach um, also in back so you can see there are some level 2 chargers uh, and a couple of the Electrify America DC pass chargers um, I'm here in my alternative Tesla with the RAV4 EV with a uh, Tesla powertrain. I would give this a bit 6 out of 10, uh, only because it's not near a major corridor. Um, but I would give it 8 out of 10 if you're going to stay overnight, because there's a beautiful Marriott Hotel right across the street from here. And now you know. Hey, Zach and Jesse. Rocky from Germany. I am at a very interesting location, very interesting supercharging location. It's called Zeus Mars House and Supercharger. There are 12 V3 superchargers. It's quite new. The more interesting thing is that uh, there are many other chargers. So it's one of the new charging parks in Germany. You have 22 140 kilowatt chargers there. And then here they, they have 24 400 
75 kilowatt chargers and on the other side you have 18 35 kilowatt dc chargers so in total you have 76 fast chargers in this location and then you have uh, a restaurant inside and also some shops and a really nice um, uh, area where you can relax and also clean toilets and things like that it's just beside a8 autobahn on route from uh, from stuttgart to munich and because of the location because of all the chargers all the fast chargers that they have here and also because of the facilities the restaurants and the shops i will give it 10 out of 10 so now you know Hi, Zach and Jesse, Jay Oswald at the wonderful Colorado Supercharger at Trinidad, Colorado. We are at the six-stall, 150-kilowatt supercharger. Around us, we have a Holiday Inn Express, the marijuana shop, in case you need to fill up on marijuana before you hit the road. The freeway exit is about 100 yards away, so it's very, very close. Uh, this is in the parking lot of a Shell and a... Wendy's restaurant and there is a uh, Mexican restaurant just uh, down the road a little ways. Anyway, as you can see, we're in the nice woods right off the highway, I-25, and I give this supercharger, oh, a 7 out of 10. And thank you guys, now you know. Thank you so much for doing Supercharger Reviews. We really appreciate it. We have a whole page on our website devoted to a map where you can update uh, Superchargers with your own review. You can, uh, If you're planning a trip, you can see all of the different Supercharger locations. And you don't have to be the only one. Like If there's already reviews there, we want to hear your, your perspective. Exactly. All right, so what do we got for new Superchargers that came online this week? We've got number 72 in Texas is the 8-stall in Houston on West Alabama Street, Texas. Number 93 in Florida is the 8-stall in Ocala at West Silver Springs Boulevard. The 24 stall in San Diego at Carmel Mountain Road, California. There's the 8 stall in Austin at 5601 Brody Lane in Texas. Number 46 in Pennsylvania, the 12 stall in Allentown at Chance Road, Pennsylvania. Number 124 in Germany is the 12 stall at Norton Hardenburg in Germany. Number 51 in Virginia is the 8 stall in Richmond, South Providence Road, Virginia. Number 13 in Alabama is the 12 stall in Auburn on College Street. Number 277 in California is the 20 stall in Calabasas at Commons Way in California. Number 43 in Spain, the 8 stall in Pamplona, Spain. Number 32 in Georgia is the 12 stall in Duluth, Georgia. Number 148 in Canada is the 8 stall at La Salle, Quebec. And number 34 in Massachusetts, number 1,354 in the U.S., 3,416 in the world is the 12 stall in North Dartmouth, Massachusetts. That's right in our state. We get another one. Gotta 34 go. in the state. Got to go visit. It's not a big state. <laughs> and so for our Patreon comment of the week, John said, my wife has a question for you. We have two neighbors, both progressives, who say they would never buy a Tesla because they hate Elon Musk. She wants to know how one should respond to this hate. My response to one neighbor today was, well, Musk has probably done more to mitigate climate change for your grandchildren than any other single person. And the response was, I don't know about that. So I hear this quite a bit, actually. I first ask people when they say this to me what they dislike about Elon. Mm -hmm. What I'm always finding is, number one, they don't know much. And number two, what they do know is not accurate. Mm -hmm. He wants to spend money on Mars, but he doesn't care about people on Earth. Well, Elon has a foundation where he quietly spends millions of dollars on things like clean drinking water for people in Flint, Michigan. He's a crazy billionaire. I hate billionaires. 
Elon wasn't born a billionaire. He created companies that have brought value and jobs and tax revenue into the world and that are changing lives for the better. Saving lives with safer cars, saving your lungs, your brain with cleaner air, saving the planet by reducing CO2 and other greenhouse gases. So if you won't buy a Tesla because you don't like Elon, you would rather buy a GM because you like Mary Barra or a Ford because you like Jim Farley or a Toyota because you like a Kia Toyota. Please share with me what I should know about these corporate leaders and why they're better than Elon. So in short, I think that you should educate these people. I think that that is uh, part of your duty. I know that it's not fun. I know that, you know, people get indoctrinated into all sorts of stuff. And hating Elon is a very easy and popular one because who knows anything about this guy? And he's not the most personable dude in the world. They're misinformed. Send them a clip of him doing his stand-up at uh, SNL. I think that's a great way to introduce most people into who he really is because he really opened up. Or send them an article about um, the Starlinks that they're sending to Ukraine. Right. I think they might have something different to say. And as we leave you this week, uh, I just want to remind everybody that the people you're seeing going by here are the people that support this show on Patreon. You can join them. Um, and we've got awesome perks over there for you. For as little as a buck a month, you can watch our Patreon bonus stories. For five bucks a month, you can get listed here in our credits. Um, and then I also want to send you over to EcoWare if you're looking for a Father's Day present. There's a lot of dads out there that uh, would love to get a little something on Father's Day, which is coming up soon. And we have a special 10% off code I love dad that you can use there. And along with saving some money, you're going to find a lot of cool things that I think your dad's going to like. Uh, T-shirts, sweatshirts, hats, so many cool products like mugs and phone cases. So head on over there, check out what we have. Everything's carbon neutral and then we make it carbon negative by planting trees and capping wells. Because I've been hearing from a lot of people and, you know, your family doesn't know what to get you. Right. Father's Day, it's kind of tough, you know, dad bought himself the Tesla. It's like, what do we get? Do we get him something that says Tesla on it? Hey, Why and don't you know, head over to EcoWare? Dads, you can send a link to your family and friends exactly. and uh, just tell them what to get for you. Give them the code. Yeah. Give them the code. That's right. All right. We'll see you next week. <laughs> now you know. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.